Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the founder of the Tribe of Athletes, former Olympian representing Switzerland, motivational speaker and entrepreneur. It's David Karasek. How are you doing today, David? Thanks for having me, Alex. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the end. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up. All right, man. So I'm, I'm born and raised in Switzerland. And um, I was involved in, let's say, swimming, okay? My parents took me to a lot of different sports and my siblings as well. And, um, but I, I remember in tennis, for example, I would get really pissed off when I lost a match or, you know, I would throw my racket around and I guess it was just safer for me to be in swimming. And, and that's what I liked. And my dad was a swimmer. So I was like, you know how they say, like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I, then I got into swimming and um, at a point I was lucky I got to the States for college. You know, I'm just giving you a quick run through here, but that was really wonderful because, you know, in, in Europe growing up in Switzerland, you just hear about America from the movies like American Pie with the red cups, the blue cups and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden I was there and it was a reality and, and, and that was a game changer because all of a sudden it was about the team and not just about about me individually. And that was really, really wonderful. And I became one happy swimmer there for four years, made it to the Olympics. And then after that, I was done. And there was a new chapter that started after that. <laughs> so you talked about tennis was the first sport that you got involved in or you really made a big impact. Was there any players that you kind of inspired to be like with tennis? Man, not, not that I remember, but I, I remember I was a fan of Pete Sampras at the time because <laughs> my dad was a fan, so I was a fan. So I, I remember he was really good on grass, but not, not, really, not really yet. So I was also in swimming. I didn't really like look up to these guys yet. I was just having fun, I think, yeah. Is there <laughs> anything with tennis that you enjoyed before it got very competitive because you talked about throwing your racket, getting upset and stuff like that? Was there anything with tennis that you enjoyed? Yeah, man. I mean, look, when you comp compare tennis to swimming, it's like tennis is a game, right? It's like actually, you know, it's also fun. Like I, sometimes when looking back now, it sounds like how could I be, how could I have been doing swimming for so long? Because like, think about it. If you're playing Xbox with a friend, if you're playing tennis, it's like fun. You run and you do the forehand, backhand and all that. It's fun. But if you do swimming, it's just like, right? So at least like in those old games. So yeah, it's a game, man. I think that, that, was, that, that was definitely fun. And especially, but as a kid, you're in the water and you're also seeing it as a game there kind of, right? Like it's um, as a kid, I, I don't think it really mattered, but yeah, tennis, the back and forth. That's why I love watching it now. But what do you love about tennis? So tennis for me, I was always an Andy Roddick fan like from the states and stuff and i always try to say like power was all that but with tennis it was always about strategy and for me and i actually played tennis in high school on the team and i kind of lost the passion when i was playing in high school because how our school was putting teams they basically said you could basically be not good and you join jv and you had, they only had a few select people beyond varsity. And I'm like, this is not right. It's like, mm -hmm. I could basically have no skill at all. And I joined the team. And mm -hmm. it's like, aren't you supposed to help those people get the skills and stuff and join the team? 
So I just ended up just doing tennis for fun. I left the team and everything, but it's just fun. Like being outside the different, I mean, I watch it on TV, basically not when it's like a hundred people that are playing, mostly when it gets down to like quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, that's when I really watch it because that's when it's very competitive, but I haven't played in a long time. I probably need to get out there and start playing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now that things are starting to open up, it would be a good time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With swimming, was there a certain event or stroke that you kind of were focused on? So that was towards the end of my career. One of the coaches had a great idea because I used to swim just freestyle. And Mm -hmm. again, to add some, new you know new practice sets new just everything new basically we started to do individual medley which is all four strokes mm-hmm. and so i in the olympics i actually competed in the 200 individual medley which is the 50 butterfly 50 backstroke 50 freestyle not freestyle breaststroke 50 freestyle right and and so that was a game changer as well because all of a sudden i had a lot more fun because if you just imagine you're swimming this six kilometers every training and it's just freestyle man you know like your shoulders are gonna fall off and it's always exactly the same so that that was cool that my coach had that idea it's like you know you can swim all strokes why don't you try that and i think that got me really motivated um because you know how it is if you repeat the same thing if it repetition without repetition have you heard of that yes so then it's like cool to repeat right and we need to do repetition in order to really master something but if you can repeat and slightly change the environment or what, what exactly you do, then I think it like stays interesting because otherwise, and tennis is really good for that too. Like you, oh, yeah. every ball is like somehow unique, right? With swimming and all the different strokes doing the individual medley, was there one that was harder for you or one that was easier for you? Or how was that in practice for you? Yeah, that that is a good question, man. It's yeah, I I didn't like the backstroke, man, I, <laughs> because and and you know when you have the practice sets or even the competition with other medley swimmers, it's actually the race to watch is really interesting because if somebody if fly is the first leg, the first fifty, mm-hmm. if somebody's really good in fly, right, he's gonna go out fast and he's it looks like he's ahead. And then, and then usually there's also a good backstroker and then breaststroke comes and breaststroke is completely different than freestyle backstroke and butterfly. So then all of a sudden you have people that were in the back before that you have them catching up. So it's actually really cool to watch, watch the race. And for me, I, yeah, backstroke was my weakest. And I just, I mean, you know how it is when, when you're not enjoying something so much, it's just like, ah. <laughs> and the stuff that you really love when you're always the fastest is like, yeah, I can do 10 more of those. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you say that because with each of the strokes, there's, it's hard to tell who's really ahead or like in front, because like you said, someone could be good at one and go out and be in the lead. And then another one that they're not strong at, but someone else could be strong at, and they're making up time for that. So it's very interesting. It's like, I mean, I watched the Olympics. I mean, I was hoping that I'm hoping that they happen this year, but you never know nowadays, but getting kind of the behind the scenes of what, how a sport is or what an event is, it's kind of interesting. When you're growing up, did you have anyone that motivated you or anyone that you inspired to be? 
That's the thing, Alex. And I think this is something that I bring to the table that I can share is that I had an Olympic dream, like a, a, a dream to win gold when I was a child, like probably a lot of children, right? Yep. But then in Swiss, growing up in Switzerland, and I, I don't blame anybody for that. It's just like how we grow up and it's our culture a bit. It's like, you know, people told me, well, you know, go to school, do this, do that. And we'll see later. We'll see later. So that dream kind of faded in the background and then disappeared. And I always had goals along the lines of what looks realistic for me, right? It's like when I got to the Swiss, when I became Swiss champion for the first time, then I thought, okay, I can make it to the European championships. And then I made it there. I was like, I can make it to the world championships. And then it was actually my coach in America said, hey, you know, you're really close to qualifying for the Olympics. Why don't you go for the Olympics? I was like, yeah, sounds good. And I did that. But I never allowed myself to have a big dream. And when you compare that to Michael Phelps, I mean, he, you know, he started swimming at the age of, I think, five or something. But he was surrounded by Olympic gold athletes, Olympic gold um, coaches. It's like, I'm joking about this, but it's almost as if Michael Phelps didn't know that there's a silver and a bronze medal. For him, there was no, he knew only gold. And look what he did. He won a, in a, like in one, yep. which is absolutely amazing. But he was programmed for that. And he knew what he wanted. And I never knew that. And I never allowed myself to have a big dream. And I think that's something that now looking back, I understand now because of the work that I'm involved in, I now get it, but I didn't get it back then. So it's actually a wonder how I got so far. Um, but that's something that I, you know, bring to the table. That's what I work with, with my athletes. It's like the number one thing is what do you want? Mm -hmm. Not what your parents want, not what you think you can do, but what do you really want? And I think that's like, yeah. Did you view swimming as more of a kind of a, a sport that you can enjoy and you enjoyed being a part of instead of it being a full on competition where you had to basically do it 24 seven? Man, I, I, I don't think like I was aware of all that much when I was swimming, you know, I was just, my life was kind of on autopilot. It, it was a blessed life in a sense. I, you know, I, I grew up, I had everything. I never like really struggled that much. I got into a good college, like things were okay, but I, ne I was never like that aware of, you know, that I could do more or I could do less. I just, you know, when I wanted a party, I party. If I wanted, you know, like it, it was just, everything was on autopilot. I didn't take charge of what I really wanted and say, okay, now I'm really going to focus on swimming this year. It would just come you know, one thing led to the other and I I wasn't in control of it. It was just on autopilot. And so I don't think I was that aware of things. Talk about going to college. What college were you looking at and wanting to go and which one did you end up going to and why did you pick that college? Yeah, man, we have, so, you know, coming from Switzerland, I, I just had a lot of fights with my coach here in uh, in Zurich. And now I know it was my fault, but at the time I thought he was an idiot. This <laughs> is never my fault, right? So, and then I started looking at America because I knew like you in America, there's like badass colleges swimming and it's like super cool. And I, I was looking at the University of Virginia, Berkeley and Ohio State because they all had good swim teams and they had a good business school because I wanted to do business. 
And then I took a recruiting trip to Virginia, to the University of Virginia, and I freaking loved it. You know, I loved everything about it. I got there, they picked me up, and it was like the American style. I just loved it. My English wasn't that good yet. When I fell in love, I got home like, you know, three days later, basically, and I just signed with them. Um, and I was lucky because I got a 90% scholarship. Um, yeah, so they just needed a freestyler. I was still a freestyler at the time and they needed one and uh, just things fell in place, I guess. And I got really lucky. And then a couple months later, I headed out there. What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during your college career? That it, I think that's a very good question. I would say, you know, there's a lot of, st- my head, my coach there, our coach, he, he always said that he's not only going to make us better swimmers, but he's going to make us men and, and women in a sense. And I'll tell you a story. Is it okay if I tell you a story? Oh, yeah. Yes. So what happened was in, in, in maybe like the first three months, you know, in America, there's the yard pool, which is about 22 meters long. Mm-hmm. In Switzerland, we were training in the Olympic pool, which is 50 meters. So it's more than twice as long. And so in America, you have more turns. And we swam a really hard set. I was like 30 minutes of pain because you weren't allowed to breathe into the wall and out of the wall, which I struggled with because I, I wasn't like so good at used to turning so much. And so, you know, after 20 minutes, I was like, you know, fuck this, I'm just breathing. And after 30 minutes, when everybody was done, my coach got up there. He started yelling. He's like, David Karasek came from Switzerland and he thinks he's better than you. He was cheating so-and-so. So what we're going to do is he's going to get out and he's going to watch you repeat the set and learn what Americans do and how they do it. And then I had to get the fuck out there and they had to do the whole set, the whole 30 minutes of pain again. And I had to stand there and watch. And he was walking on the bulkhead back and forth is always telling me you pussy see that's how you do it you pussy <laughs> and and i felt terrible right but that was like a light bulb went off i was like fuck this is not only about me now this is about this is about the whole team this is 70 people pulling on the same string going into the same direction and you can't have people just do whatever they want it's like and after that it, it kind of clicked i apologized to the guys and the girls and you know apologize to the coach and, you know, there were other things that happened, but that was like the first, the most memorable one that was like, okay, this is, this is awesome. This, I like this. Taking that moment and how with swimming, sometimes it's an individual sport. Sometimes it's a team sport. Did you view that as you had to work as a team to get better together? Or was it still the individual mentality? Yeah, that's the thing. It is very individual in Switzerland and is not at all individual in America. That, that was a huge change because every race that you do, you score points for the university, not for yourself. Like you get like maybe at the NCAA championship, I think you get like a small, like a trophy or something, but that's it. Like in Switzerland and in Europe, you get medals, the first, second, third, all the time. And there you don't get that. You just get points for the university. And all of a sudden, just a scoring system. You're like, okay, this, this is really cool. And then also if you missed a morning practice, oh God, you know, you had to have, you had to come up with a really good excuse or something. But I mean, you know, because they held you accountable for it. And that was for me yep. a big shift, but that's what I needed because I was a pussy when I came over and I learned a lot about that, right? And that, that was so cool. And now I can see why America is so good in sports. I can see. 
With your college career, what was your favorite moment or did you have an accomplishment that you still remember to this day? Yeah, that was, that was my last year at the ACC championships. Um, my parents were there and we had full house. I mean, you know, that pool was boiling with fat. Like it was really good atmosphere. We, we won the ACC, but I, I had the race. I swam a ACC record. I think it was ACC record, was it? Or school record, University of Virginia school record, I think. And I won and we always had the V for Virginia with like, you know, with a fat marker, we put that on all the guys. And I, I just remember, you know, I, I won this by quite a good amount and I was, I was feeling really good. And I just went this and, and I gave them the V for Virginia, you know, up to the stands and my parents. And that, that moment was, that was like bliss. Everything came together and that, I remember that clearly. And that was really nice because all, all the hard work and, you know, all the teammates, I mean, they were fired up, you know, like on the side, my, my coach, there's videos of him like going, yeah, like, you know, while the race was still going on and that's something you don't see in Switzerland. You, and, and so that really burned itself um, in my memory. Was there ever a moment where you thought that I could do this professionally because you were going to college for business, but did you think that you could be an athlete as a career path? <sighs> yeah, not, not, not really. Cause there's there, you know, I also not really, cause I didn't see a path for like to, to, to make money off this. Um, and again because i wasn't aware of it i didn't know how you know alex sometimes there's things that we look at other people and we're like how do they do that damn like that's impossible for me like you know what i would never work for me but the reality is it would also work for us it's just we don't know how they figure out how and we don't know how and i just didn't see how that could happen for me because i wasn't aware of how I could shape my circumstances on all that. I was, I was just like, you know, things happened to me and that didn't happen to me. So the money didn't come to me because of swim, right? For example. And so not really, no. I was always like studying and we got a little money from Swiss Olympic, you know, from the association. So that was enough to live and to do the training camps. But it, it wasn't like any, any substitute for, for a job, I guess. Is it hard to see, because this is always a conversation with college athletes is, do they want to pursue it as a full-time career? Because like with football or soccer, they can take it to the professional leagues, but with swimming, there wasn't really anything out there except for like um, champion world championships and stuff. But now they're starting to make a professional league with swimming. Do you kind of wish that was there when you were doing swimming or do you look at your career and you're happy at where you went with it? Man, I got to tell you, I think it's good that there wasn't anything like that. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm happy that when I was done swimming, I made that committed, I call it a committed decision. Cause I never looked back and never regretted it so far. And I think it will stay that way. It's like, I got out of it and there's a lot of cool things that happened after that because all the time, because it was literally, it felt like, you know, in Switzerland here, if they have a pool outside in the winter, they put like a balloon over it so they can still train. And that's literally how I felt when I was done with swimming. It, it's, it was as if I stepped out of that balloon for the first time. I'm like, wow, there is so much more going on. And like 
the people in the world, they don't really like care about swimming that much, you know, because when you're involved in swimming all the time, you think like it's huge. Yeah. But then you realize like people don't really like care that much. You know, they watch the Olympics and, and get some Google hits when the Olympics are on. But other than that, it's like really not that much. So, uh, so it was a good experience, you know, but I mean, it, it's cool if they if they have more opportunities now to make money. I'm also saying with sponsors, man, if you have a dream, if you can communicate the dream, if you're good at that and you really know what you want, you know, you can attract sponsors and you can make that happen, even if you're not the best yet. So um but yeah, for me, it was good. I'm happy. <laughs> Talk about representing Switzerland in championships, Olympics. How did that feel for you and what kind of impact did it have? Yeah. So at the Olympics, man, so very, very honest, before the race, man, I almost shit my pants. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, you know, I, w- I was very nervous, but it was still like healthy nervousness. But, you know, you have these different call rooms before the race and everything is like very scheduled because the TV is there and everything. And you have like more call rooms than usual. Usually I have one. And there you had like three or four, you move like from one to the next and they keep checking everything. If the logo isn't too, you know, just a lot of like stress, I guess. And you see like Michael Phelps and all these Brian Lochte and all, you know, those big shots. And, and then it's time and you walk out and it was on August 1st, 2012 in London. And August 1st is the Swiss national day. And I remember, so we got two tickets and my sister and my mom, they were there and there was 10,000 people in that pool, which is, I mean, for a swimmer, that's a dream. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking out and I saw my mom and my sister with the Swiss flag like there. And then I kind of blacked out. I don't remember anything from the race, but I remember I touched the wall and I swam a Swiss record on the Swiss national day, which was nice. And, um, yeah, I was, I was happy. There's some pictures of me on pool deck going like this and a big smile. So, you know, um, I, I was grateful that I swam a personal best there and got the Swiss record because by the way, that's long gone. Now we have a guy who is absolute world-class now and ha- he smashed my record, but good for him. Um, but I was happy because I learned that only about five to 10% of the athletes actually perform at a best like at the personal best in the olympics because of all the pressure and all that and because that was like one of my last competitions basically and obviously like the biggest in terms of yeah because i can't remember that i should almost shit my pants in another competition so um yeah i was happy with that you know i was i was, I was feeling good when you're looking back on to that time at the olympics what was the memory of it? Do you have a moment outside of being at the pool that you remember that it was worth going for the Olympics? Because we hear the stories about what happens when they're not performing and people are enjoying the culture and all that stuff. Did you fully enjoy the experience of being at the Olympics? Yeah, can, can, I'll give you two stories, okay? They're like, one is from sport, the other one not. So. One of them was meeting Roger Federer again because he was on a Swiss team. And the cool thing that happened is I met him at the airport a couple months before that. And I ran into him in, in the lounge, you know, and I quickly introduced myself, obviously said that I'm a huge fan. I was in the, at the airport and I said, my name is David. 
And then we were there and he came because he was usually like in, in close to Wimbledon, which was on the other side of the athletic like village. And so, but he came to say hi to the whole Swiss team. And when it was my time to go and say hi, he's like, David, right? And I was like, yeah, you know? So, so that was pretty cool. And we could all take a picture with him and have a chat and just see like what he has to say. Um, that was wonderful. And then the other one was that when we were done swimming, we were done after like 10 days in the first, first half of the game. So we had to be mindful of all the other athletes, right? We, we couldn't like party in, in the rooms or whatever because the other athletes needed to sleep. And so we wanted to be respectful of that. So we took it outside, but we, we partied, I partied. <laughs> and one of my best friends from America, this is my roomie from University of Virginia. He, he came over, he was in London. Uh, he came over for the Olympics and we brought him, we smuggled him into the village in the middle of the night when we came back at like morning at four in the morning. And he was with a Czech swimmer girl there. So he left with her. They just like, I went to my room and they, they left to her room. And I gave him some like Swiss shirts and like the accreditation, you know, that he can wear in the morning. So they don't see him and throw him out. And we said, okay, next morning we see each other nine o'clock in the Swiss house. And I was on top of the balcony. Right. And then you, I, I looked down on the village and I, you saw like a lot going on there. There's like a couple of blocks and in the middle, like a park. And I see one idiot in a turquoise shirt that he wore like, you know, last night when he was partying with his camera going like this, <laughs> walking around, right? And he was just like the odd guy out, but he made it to, to my apartment. He got kicked out a bit later though, because he didn't have the accreditation, but that, that was also fun. But we were very mindful and, and of other athletes that had still you know, the most important competition of their lives, right? So, but it was fun. It was fun. See, these are the stories we all need to hear because we only hear about what goes on at the event, at the moment. It's like, we need to hear more about the experience and what it is for you guys. So I love hearing those stories because it shows that you guys are enjoying every single second of those weeks that you are there at the Olympics. Yeah. And all, and can you imagine like the pressure that is gone when you're, when you're done? Yeah. It's like weights taken off of you almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. When you're getting too close to the end of your career or your professional swimming career, what is going through your mind and how hard was it to make that decision to, to transfer and move on to the next step in your life? Okay. I want to ask you a question about that in a second as well. Um, with the com- for me, I have to tell you, I had a lot of time thinking about it while I was swimming. I was like, I'm not really enjoying this, but I keep going. Maybe it's just a phase and maybe it will go away. And it took me a couple of weeks and it just didn't go away. And I started, you know, thinking about it before I went to sleep. Also, it's like, I'm not enjoying that. I don't want to get up in the morning. But I kept pushing through because I thought it might just be like my mind, you know, playing tricks on me. But it didn't go away. And after a couple of weeks, I clearly remember it was Friday afternoon practice at like four o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And we jump in and for the warm up after 10 minutes, I was like, okay, this is it. I got out of the pool. I told my coach, I'm done swimming. I'll never come back. And I left. Wow. And, and it was a good decision. I mean, like, uh, 
you know, as I said, a lot of doors opened after that. But of course, I had some worries. What are my parents going to say? What's my coach going to say? What are, you know, am I letting anybody down and so on? And I would love to hear from you also what you, how it is for you, like, you know, making important decisions. What, what, what's your process for that? So I always kind of map out a game plan when it comes to decisions that I make. It could be something tight, small, or something large, but I always look at what's the positives and the negatives from it. And over time, I have told myself, you cannot say no to anything. You have to just go for it and try it. Like no regrets nowadays. I think even with doing the show, I'm like, I don't know how to do a show. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to do that. But I told myself I'm always willing to learn and learn as I go. And that has been the best decision I made because I look at what I've done and the people that I've talked to and it's been worth it. It's been worth it completely. But any decision, I always say, just go for it. What's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't end up right. There's a little error. It ends up being correct and positive. So I think that's what I have learned from this past few years is you can't regret anything. You have to go for it and try because you don't want to look 20 years from now and say, I wish I did this. Yeah, that's the worst. I mean, that's just if you, and you can do that. We, I do that sometimes with my athletes. If somebody needs some extra motivation, we go, we go in the future and imagine ourselves when we're 80 years old, when we're like in the rocking chair going back and forth and we're like, <laughs> fuck, we could have done this and that, you know, that's, you can mentally do that and experience not doing it today and then feel shitty about it. And that's, you know, we used to use it in, in relationship coaching or whatever. If you, if you, let's say you're trying to find a girl and you're like shy, then, you know, drag yourself 10 years in the future and you're not talking to any girls or, or whatever you like, you know, not talking to anybody, basically, you're still going to be alone and you're going to hate yourself for it. And, yeah. and that, if you can make that pain big enough, then poof, some extra motivation to get your ass out and start talking to people. I think you have to put yourself in those situations. And I think you can kind of relate it to athletic competition where if you're nervous and stuff, and then you get out there onto the podium or the, the diving dock, I'm trying to think of what it is. The, no, the starting block, man. Starting <laughs> block. I'm, I failed. And so it's one of those things where you, when you get to that, when you're comfortable, it's, it's like natural. And I think you just have to get to yourself there. And I think athletes can relate to that. CEOs can relate. Getting to that moment is the hard part. But once you're there, your confidence is at a whole nother level. And it's just, you want to be there every single time. That's right. And I would assume that you were also not only always this confident and this good of a host, right? No. Exactly. God, no. Yeah. But this... <laughs> And I tell you, this is cool about sports. This is really, really beautiful because with sports, we all start out as a baby yep. and, and we all have to build, like, you know, you could say in business, okay, you have, if you're starting and your daddy is a billionaire, you can say, okay, yeah, he had it easy. And, and that may be, that may be the case. Okay. Because yeah. Okay. I can see that. But with sports, it's proof that we all start from the same level. Like there was no bodybuilder that was born with 200 kilos. It just, it, <laughs> there, there is not. So whatever it is, it's like, it's pretty cool in sports and sports is showing us that it's showing us that it doesn't matter how poor you are, how like it has nothing to do with that. It's just your mindset. Yep. And that's, um, 
Yeah, you just got to really know what you want and you really have to be willing. I mean, you have to want it and you have to be willing to make the sacrifices. But if those two things are in place, then I don't see why we couldn't achieve what we want to achieve. There's no reason. I totally agree with that. Looking back after your career, what was next for you? What kind of momentum did you have to start your own business or did you go into a different path? I needed to make money, man. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, you know, that was, I was studying business, right? At the University of Virginia and I was swimming over the summer and my classmates, they were doing internships in New York with like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Bank of America. And I had to feel, oh my God, I'm so far behind, you know, I'm, I, I got to make money. So as I said, still on autopilot, um, when I was done through connections, I got into Swiss private bank here in Zurich, which was, a, a, I have to say, an incredible experience. It was a very good start. Uh, learned a lot, got into the corporate world. Um, yeah, but it was still an autopilot. It's not like what I really, you know, I studied business because my dad told, I mean, when I asked my dad and he's like, I would do business. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do business, right? So, um, yeah, so then I became a banker for a while, for about four or five years. It doesn't sound like you were passionate about it. Just from how you're talking with it right now, was it more just a stepping stone to get you to that next step? Yeah, I think you had to, you know, you hear that a lot though, right? When, when you speak to people, they, they say they had to do the corporate job first and then they realized what they didn't like about it and then they transitioned into what they really liked. So I think it had, it had to happen that way. And while I was there, I actually enjoyed it. I just know that I wasn't like fulfilled because I, was, I felt like, again, my low level of awareness at the time, I felt like I was at the mercy of the, the, the boss, like a good mood, bad mood, all right? or bonus was, I was even, I was angry, man, I had a, Alex, I got a really good bonus payment in March is bonus season here. I had a really good bonus payment. You know, that's like, it was at the time it was as, as much as my sister makes in a year. And I was angry about it. I was angry about it because other people got more or somebody else got more. Right. So that was like, so I knew I wasn't fulfilled. I was out partying a lot, drinking a lot. So I was a kind of, yeah, escaping something. I just, it didn't occur to me what that was. And then I thought I need to make more money. I switched banks and, uh, <laughs> but I try to solve the puzzle. And, um, but yeah, that went on for four or five years. Do you think that your brand or image didn't help? Like sometimes people will use their recognition of being an athlete, an Olympian to use them to get to where they want. Do you think you had a hard time because you were not in that path? I think looking back, this is a very good question. Looking back, and that's something I learned about myself was that I wasn't, because in swimming, I had quite a lot of success. At least it felt like, you know, if you could say, oh, you were only 27th in the Olympics, that's not success. Well, for me, it felt like success. I was getting attention and, and so on. And then in the corporate world, I couldn't recreate that success like it wasn't it didn't happen as i imagined it right i had an idea how is this going to happen and it didn't happen that way because there was a lot of other people involved in it and in swimming i thought okay if i want to do harder i just i i go out less i focus on swimming i train harder and so on and in banking that just didn't didn't really happen because my i felt like my boss he doesn't like me he's not you know um He's trying to hold me down. And that's, I felt like a victim a little bit. 
And so maybe that's where that unhappiness, or I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like depression or real straight up unhappiness, but there was something like not fulfilled, not, not like working towards my dream. Let's put it that way. And I think that is a good question. Does that make sense? Yes. Because I think sometimes I think athletes, they go into situations, they had a career, they win championships and they're like, oh, I, anyone wants me because I, I'm, I'm a big name out there. But I think they don't realize when they come into the professional world that it's a completely different because some people don't care about who you are. They want to know, can you do the work? And I think if we were, if we reversed it where we come from the professional into the athlete world. I could be a big name CEO, but if I can't compete, no one's going to care about me. So I think the, exactly how you said it is very accurate in what we see nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm glad that I'm not an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at some of the celebrity or some athletes out there where they have to right. make that transition and they're realizing the stuff that they learned in college and stuff they have to utilize now, but yeah, they have the name out there, but they just want to be working. They just want to enjoy life. When did you finally found the item that fulfilled you? Because we've been talking about how you weren't fulfilled at the banking job, but when did you finally find that moment that you're like, okay, this is what I like doing? <laughs> Alex, that's good. Uh, sounds like so, you know, like out of a straight out of a movie building up and then I found it. But for me, it was different. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. What happened was the guy, so that was my second bank that I was at. And the guy was sitting across from me. He was with the bank for 10 years or so. And his family, well, he got a second child. Okay. And his, he, they already had a small kid and his wife got really sick after the birth. And he asked at work if he could have a one month unpaid leave. And you know, it's not so uncommon to take a one month unpaid leave. And they said, no. That bank is Jewish Brazilian. So, but anyway, I'll leave that up there. <laughs> so, but it was that, in that moment when I, I was in Nicaragua, I heard about that, how they're treating him. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not working for somebody who's treating them pleased like that. I'm not giving my energy, my passion and all my time for that. And I, I called my dad and I told him, you know, I'm going to resign. Can you please send in the letter tomorrow morning? And he agreed to do it. And my mom started crying because he's all about, you know, safety. Oh, no, Davey can't do that. And it's like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And, and then I was out and I had a six months, what we call a garden leave, which is you were paid because I was seeing clients and they didn't want me to see clients anymore after my resignation. So they just had to pay me for six months. And I kind of went on a, on a journey. I went to Hawaii. I you know, started reading books and trying to find myself. But then what happened, I was back in Switzerland and an older guy, like maybe 60, he English, he invited me to have a tea. And I just met him at like a network thing and he invited me for a tea. I was like, this is odd. I've never in my life been invited to a tea. You know, you go for a beer or coffee or dinner or whatever. All right, so tea, I thought, right, why not? I'll go. And we sat down in a nice hotel and we did order a tea. And then he started, and I remember the words, he started, he looked at me and he said, David, everything that you're thinking is so subjective and it's not the truth. And I said there, I was like, everything I'm thinking is so subjective and it's not the truth. 
And I said, damn, I think he's right. You know, it's like hard to argue because I always want to argue all everything because I think I thought like I'm right and all that. And, and I, you know, then I started to read more books about this that were so programmed and that often we think about that we know the truth, that we know how it is. And I found out how little that I know and how much there is to learn. And I'm starting to ask questions, how the hell did nobody tell me that earlier, right? But I think it was always here. I just didn't hear it. I didn't have the, something, you know, had to happen over the years that I was ready for to hear that. And I, I, I find that very, very interesting that it took so, I mean, so long, you know, some people never wake up to that. Other people, you know, they, they very early, it's everybody's different, but I think when it hits you, then it's like almost impossible to ignore because yeah, everything is so subjective and it's, it was so true. Right. So his perspective helped you realize what was yeah. going on in your life. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever thought about it? Like that everything that you're thinking is kind of just what you experienced and it's not what the world really is. Yeah. Cause it's definitely about point of view. Like everyone has a different version of what they go through, even if it's the same thing. Some people, it hits them even harder. Sometimes it's a lot easier, but I think nowadays people have to realize the different point of views of what people are going through and then they can understand. And then that's how everyone can work together to make it better in a way. That's right. That's right. And you can all, you make better decisions because if you make decisions based on your feelings that you have, it's like your feelings are kind of like, they're not lying to you, but they're just representing your past. Basically, if you had shitty experiences doing this and that, then you're scared of that. You're not doing it anymore, but you might be missing out on so much. Right. So if you can, take away the power from the feelings and focus on what you really want and then give it another go and just say, look, other people, as you said, they don't have these feelings for, for the same activity, let's say. Yeah. So then why do I have it? And you start to understand ah, it's because of this, that, and then all of a sudden you have so many options that are available to you. And when you have options, you see how it can happen. And when you see how it can happen, you get really motivated and it's kind of like building that momentum, right? It's, it doesn't look like magic anymore. Yes. And definitely in the business world nowadays where like companies are looking at their point of view, but it's like, what about the customer side? And it's like, you got to start thinking of different areas and how all everyone's ideas can work together to get that common goal that they're trying to achieve. Good point. Good point. Thinking and an end result. Yeah. Trying to holistic approach. Also, I mean, for us human beings, come on. I think we're living in a time now where you can't separate work from family. You can't separate sports from nutrition. You can't separate the mental aspects from your physical. Like it's all together. So we got a, the holistic approach. I really love that. I mean, and it's, I mean, that's, I mean, is, is there still people that don't believe in that? <laughs> I mean, there probably is out there. There's people that think the world is flat. So, <laughs> so how did you start the tribe of athletes? What got you motivated to get that up and going? Okay, so first I was coaching um, executives first with what we found basically first I got a lot of coaching from 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 that guy. And I started reading books and also we put up coaching together for executives because that was kind of the lowest hanging fruit because I had a lot of contacts in in banking. All that. But then a lot of them came and that you know some of them would take over a team and their boss said you got to do get better in leadership go take a course. 
and I came and they're like, so make me better. And they didn't really understand, you know, like that it, the work is required from it. They can't just sit there and consume the knowledge. They got to like apply it and, and, and so on. So it was cool, but I just, my, if you're an athlete and your heart beat for sport, like it doesn't just go away. It was all the fire that desire to work with athletes was still there. So around when Corona came, you know, I, I was like, why don't I just like start working with athletes? Like, why not? Right. Why not? And I started talking to them first and I asked them, you know, how much of what you do of your performance, how much of it is mental? And I had answers between 50 to 98%. You know, and I spoke to a lot of them. And then my follow-up question right after that, you know, would be, so, okay, if you, if that is the case, if say 80% for you is mental, then how, what do you do every day to study the mind, to train the mind, to, you know, get better at that? And then usually there was a long pause, a long gap. And I knew, you know, after, I don't know, 10 of those conversations, like I knew that there's a huge market for this because you're telling me that it's 80% mental but you're seeing a sports psychologist once a month and you think that can, you know, help you. I mean, if you go to the gym once a month, what happens? Nothing. <laughs> right? So it's exactly the same thing. So that's, that's how I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for the athlete. So what I did is I just let the executives run out, you know, let the coaching run out, not uh, do any new stuff. And I started with the athletes and I was a good decision. I have to say. What's been the biggest impact that this company has had on you as a entrepreneur? Yeah. Wow, man. I learned so much, but I think for me personally, I would say, well, can I say two things? Yeah. So the one thing is to get on now it's on camera, right? But to speak, to get out and get the message out and, and just, become comfortable and, and, and be inspiring and all that. And now, you know, I discovered something super cool. I mean, maybe it's obviously not just my discovery, but I record a video that's like two minutes long, me speaking. And then I have a video editor make a motivational video out of it. Holy shit. That's good. You know, not because necessarily because of me, but the guy, when I say Michael Jordan, he puts Jordan there with Duncan, you know, like, and you have the music in the background. They're like, Oh, this is really good. You know, so try to get the message out and try to get the people, people's emotions involved because just the like thoughts, it's, it's good, but emotions, we make decisions with emotions. So that's one of the things. So go out, inspire, like speak to people, speak also in large audiences. And then the other one is that resilience to deal with negative feedback to people that just, I, I don't know, don't hear the message or think you're annoying or whatever it is. And, you know, that's something. If you care what other people think of you, you're going to have a hard time as an entrepreneur. But if you've focused on yourself and my mentor, Bob Proctor, he's saying it really well. He's saying, and if you're going out and speaking to people, say like you're speaking to a thousand people, okay, live. The trick that did it for him that he's not nervous besides practice is that he's always saying, I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm worried about what you think of you. And, yeah. and isn't that, isn't that great? That takes everything away. If you can just, if you don't give a shit what other people think about you, it, it, because it doesn't matter to you, 
you can be, and, and you know that with a podcast, if you think you have to do this and that, you, and you say something wrong, you get sweaty and I'm sweating now, but, but just because I'm excited, not because I'm nervous, but as a host, I, I would guess you have that too in the beginning, right? You want everything to go right. Did you have that? Oh yeah. And I also look at it where everything's not perfect and there's ways that you can take it, even with the show that you can swerve it to make people realize wasn't there a problem? It didn't even seem like there was a problem. And I think even in my life, I used to, and definitely with now with social media, people are always putting out negative comments out there. And I think people are taking those so seriously that it's affecting them and what they do. I kind of just show haters are going to hate. I'm just going to prove them wrong. And I'm going to show people that you can doubt me, but I'm going to show you that I can do this. And that's what I kind of, when we were talking about um, doing, taking the risk, not saying no to things, I'm going to say yes to everything because I'm going to show people what I can do. I'm not going to let people say I can't. Yeah. So how do you, how do you take that negative energy and turn it into fuel? How do you, like, is there a process to it or, did, or how did you learn it? I think it just took time. I think it was okay. one of those things where it was more of a confidence thing and I, I'm definitely, even with sports, let's use that as an example. I call myself a wild card because I don't look athletic, but when you put me out on the field, I'm, I'm definitely not what you think I am. And people kind of look at you like, oh, I should have picked you first. And it's like, you're going from what I look like. You're not really going with what I can do mentally and physically and show people. And I think the confidence helped me take those negatives because I just use it and go, okay, well, let me show you. I think it just yeah. gives me the fire to keep on going. And even with the show, I think people tell me, oh, well, you can pay me and I can get you all this. And it's like, look what I've done without paying anyone. I mean, I believe in myself. I believe in the mission. I believe in what I can do. So I'm going to do it. I don't need someone telling me what I already know, but I will learn because I want to get better. Yeah, exactly. And you learn when you're doing something that you freaking don't know how to do. Cause that, that, that's why I want to have goals and a mission is not to get stuff. It's to, to learn, to become oh, yeah. the person that we get, because it takes, as you say, it takes courage, confidence. You got to build that stuff to go for something that you have no idea how to get there. If you're doing something that you already know how to do, if, if somebody gives you step-by-step -step template, you do this, that, that's not a goal. That's like following orders or whatever. But it, yeah, I, I love that. I really love that. So with your job or what your, your career path, what is the biggest thing you're hoping for in the future? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years personally and professionally? Can I, can I read you what I wrote down like three days ago? Yeah. Because so if, if you want to have an exercise and everybody who's listening, like one of the exercises is, and I have that from Bob Proctor is he's big. Do you know him, Bob? Bob Proctor? I do not. He's from The Secret. He's uh, the movie, have The Law of Attraction. Okay. So what he's saying is that you imagine your dream, what you want for, let's say for your company, as you ask, and you go into the future, no timeline on it, just what you want. And you bring it into the presence and you write it out in present tense. And um, I do that every day. Uh, there's different variations to it, but um, I, I use, you got to use repetition for the mind. So what I wrote down was, I'm so happy and grateful 
now that we're a thousand coaches strong in the tribe of athletes and that we serve and work with the world's best football players, fighters, and tennis players. Every one of my coaches is a former athlete who's worked with me individually and had so much success with the mental training that this is all he or she wanted to do after their career. We're getting millions of views on our YouTube channel and it's every athlete's dream to be coached by us. I'm traveling around the world to Champions League games and Grand Slam tournaments as a fan, mentor, and friend of the world's most inspiring athletes. So that's my, that's what, what came out, I think like three days ago or something um, for my, so that, yeah, that's, that's how, what gets the thoughts and the emotions going to start to attract these things. And what you find is if you do that for long enough, there's no other way than these things will start to move into, into physical form because Look, this is, and, and this is not my knowledge. That's why I'm so confident, right? This is knowledge that people that have studied their entire lives, just that is when you think about it, this pen existed in somebody's mind as a thought mm -hmm. first, just a thought. And with time, it moved into physical form. Now, the phone that we're using these days existed in Steve Jobs or somebody's mind as a thought at first, and with time, it moved into physical form. Now, Michael Jordan had a dream, and he had a dream to be the best basketball player in the world, and he had the dream, and he believed he can have the dream before it has happened. And he hung out with them that dream a lot, and he moved it into physical form. That's how creation works. It's like we animals can't do that. Animals can't like imagine their future. They can't like a dog doesn't imagine like what it's like if he you know, had unlimited food or whatever. Like a dog doesn't really imagine that. But we human beings look around you like everything that's not grown by mother nature is, is created by us. We create our own environment, like literally. And so that's the power that we have. It's just, we got to learn how to use it. And unfortunately we're not told in school, um, but yeah, we're incredibly powerful. So yeah, that's what I do. If you're asking, thanks for asking. <laughs> do you feel when you write something down, it's easy, it's, better for you to kind of be motivated to complete it because that's always like a goals list people write it down they see the words and they use that as fuel to the fire yeah I, yeah writing it down and but the, the trick is from what i understand so far is that you have to become emotionally involved in it because it's your heart that creates and so what you want to, what I, what I do, what I try to do with my athletes also, um, when we're doing it is that you want to have a picture come to you because we're thinking in, in pictures. When I ask you to think of your front door, that comes, right? If I ask you to think of the fridge, yep, it's right there. So in a, in a perfect world, you want to have like a gold card somewhere like in the wallet or I have one like here. You want to have like a little goal card where there's like a sentence or something that you're really focused on and you want to have that image flash. It takes a bit of practice because again, it takes some repetition, but then when you see it, when you see the sentence, you're like, boom, that, that, that picture comes up and it steers the emotion because that's what's creating. So it's not enough just writing it mechanically. It's like, you want to like close your eyes and, and feel it. Right. And that, that's like, so it's like a combination of the two, but writing it down is, it's very powerful. Looking back at your career and journey so far, would you change any outcome 
to pave the way towards a new future? Or do you like what has happened because it's gotten you to where you are today? All right. So I have, okay, let's put it this way. I have no regrets, but because I did the best that I could with what I knew at the time, with who I knew and what I knew. But if I could go back and like kind of learn about all this that I learned three years ago. Oh yeah. I, I would definitely want to know that stuff I, because who knows where I, I would be today and how many people I'd be serving or already have served. I don't, I don't know, but yes, I would, I would definitely want to know about this earlier. The final question I'll ask you based on your journey and experience for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yeah, man. I'll, okay. That to realize that everything starts in the mind, that it's mindset before mechanics. Like you can only be as strong as you think, or as you believe you can only jump as far as you believe you can jump. It's all about your beliefs and you gotta, I mean, you don't have to, but that's my tip is to start to study the mind, start to study the most successful people, the most successful athletes in the world. And don't think that you know it all. Start to study them or listen to coaches or let's just listen to people that my coach is saying, you want to be around people. You want to listen to people who know more than you, but also know that they're no better than you. They just know more, but they're no better. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, but they know more. They can, they're like, you're here. And they are here. And the thing is, they know exactly what's going on here because they've been there. And if you can get over the ego, the, the shyness, the being proud or whatever it is, and just say, hey, I'm going to ask these people, how do they do it? This is your fastest way to success. And you can come overcome any obstacle. It's literally like the guy here or the girl lifting you over the obstacle because what you'll find often is that they want to help. Mm -hmm. right? They want to inspire because it feels good for them too. If they're having their little people that li little people, you know, like the students or whatever that they can mentor. So that, that'll be my tip. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks for having me, Alex. You're a wonderful host. I was excited. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.